0: There's room on the front row if you guys want to join Allah on the front row. Like Ella said today, that's the place to be. I agree with that. Amen. All right. I hope you guys had a great week. Yes? It's about to get even better. Amen? Amen. Who, who is ready for the Word of God today? Anybody ready? All right. If you're ready, you got to say amen. 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 Okay. We got Let's try that again. If you're ready, say amen. 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 All right. I know you guys might be a little tired after a long week of school, but you know what? This is the, this is the place to be right here and let's receive something from God. So before we keep going, let's pray and open our hearts to God and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today individually. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, for this service. God, we praise you that your Grace is with us, Lord. We thank you that your will is in our life and we know that you are with us. God, you said that you are at our right hand. Lord, we know that you are always with us as long as we keep you before us, as long as we seek you, God. And we thank you for tonight's service. We thank you, Lord, that that you are here with us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Let your word come alive in our hearts. Let your word be living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. God, I pray that you would anoint the word that's going to go forth and I pray that that you would anoint every person tonight that's going to be listening. God, help us to hear for ourselves. Lord, help us, give us ears to hear. And I pray that the seed fall on good ground. Lord, I pray that the enemy would not steal the word. He would not distract the word. And I pray that the word would fall on good ground and it would produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. 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 I don't know if Katie said this, but right now they are where in Phoenix, right? They're in Phoenix, driving on Andre's blue van, and there's like 13 of them or something, right? There's how many? How many of them went there? 13, 13, and that. So we need to pray for AC in that car for sure. They don't have AC, man. It's it's gonna it's not gonna be a fun trip. Oh man, <clears throat> and uh, you know. Dima left, but we have a pastor finally returned. I think he's sitting back there somewhere, pastor's in the building. So let's give it up for pastor, yes. There he is. Uh, I asked him if he wanted to share something, he said, no, not tonight. Um, All right. Uh, Tonight I want to talk about uh, the new covenant. I want to talk about the new covenant. And um, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement, usually formal, between two or more persons to do or not to do something specified. So it's an agreement, right? It's an agreement between two people. So let's say I made a covenant with somebody. Let's say I made a covenant with Nikita, sitting all the way there in the back. Hi, Nikita. Let's say I made a covenant with him, and I said, Nikita, every single morning I want you to... uh, to bring me a cup of coffee and a croissant every morning. Alright? As soon as I get up out of bed, you gotta bring me a cup of coffee and a croissant. And Nikita would be like, Well, why would I do that? Well, I'm gonna give you a check for a thousand dollars. Alright? Is that a good deal? But if you don't bring it, then you owe me ten thousand dollars. Alright? But it's a covenant, right? We're making a covenant. So a covenant is an agreement. Okay, you gotta do something, and if you do it, I'm gonna reward you. If you don't do it, then you're going to be punished, all right? Does that, sound, does, that, does that sound fair enough? Okay, well, that's just an example of an agreement. All right, we're not actually going to do that, so, okay? So, you're okay. But that's what a covenant is. Uh, how many covenants are there in the Bible? There are about five major covenants, five major covenants. Do you guys know, can we, can we list any of the five covenants, I want you guys to list them, all right? I want you guys to put on your thinking caps. What are five covenants in the, in the Word of God? I already told you one. I mean, that's the name of the, the message, I guess, the new covenant. So I already told you one of the covenants. There's four more. I know, I know most of the, a lot of the leaders today left, or they left to the Mexico trip, so a lot of our Bible knowledge left with them. But, okay, we got four more, come on. So the new covenant is the covenant of Jesus, the New Testament. We got that one covered. Abraham. Yes, the covenant that Abraham made with or that God made with Abraham, right? Whoever believes, Abraham is the father of faith. Right. So we are children of Abraham. That's one covenant. We got three more. With Israel. Well, <clears throat> I guess you could say if more specific, that's the covenant that Moses with Moses, with the law, right? That God made with Israel. So there's the covenant of Moses covenant of Abraham there's two more they are both in the new testament (laughs) covenants with people yeah I'm I'm not I'm not just giving you an impossible question this is it's in the Bible with Peter no that's the new covenant that's the new covenant yeah part of the new covenant the Holy Spirit that's part of the new covenant they're, on the, they're in the Old Testament. I'll give you a hint. One of them is, uh, he right now his name is, he's gone on a mission trip. Noah. Yes, God made a covenant with Noah. You guys remember what that covenant was? With the rainbow, right? That he will never flood the earth. Today, that rainbow is taken by other people, right? By the gay, you know, uh, the, the gay pride community and they're using it in the bad bad sense but originally God made that as a covenant with with people that he will never flood the earth again. There's another covenant. I think I heard it said David. Yes, with David that the heir of David will always or a descendant of David will always sit on the throne and that was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. All right, so we're just doing some Bible trivia before before we start the word of God, all right? Um but those are those are the those are the five major covenants. And let's go to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and starting from verse 1. Today I have, my, I have my New Living Translation Bible, and this is an older Bible. I haven't read from this in a long time, but as I was reading this, I read it in the New Living Translation. I'm like, you know, the, the wording is just so good, so I decided to use it. But this Bible is a little beat up, I mean... I think I used it for like four years, and it looks like it's really worn out. It's always a good sign when you can just take pieces of paper out of your Bible, right? But it's okay. That means that you're using it, right? If your Bible is nice and clean and, and crisp just the day you bought it, it's probably not a good sign, right? I heard someone say they used the Bible. Uh, they went through a Bible, one, one Bible a year. That's how much they used it. So that's, that's good. That's good. All right, so Galatians chapter three and the new covenant. Now this is, this is something amazing. Why? Because the new covenant is nothing like any of the Old Testament covenants. Why? Because the new covenant is, I mean, let's think about it. God who is holy, who, I mean, the heavens are not even holy enough for God, right? The heavens are not holy enough for God. That's how holy God is. And God has decided to come down and to live in us i mean let's think about that for a moment we as people we're not perfect actually far from that we're kind of a little messed up right you know every person's they we, we got some issues right if you agree with that say amen amen, amen. we all have some issues Right and God, who decided to live inside of us, He's perfect, He's holy, but yet He's decided to live in us, and not only that, He's the, He He wants to give us His desires and put His word in our heart, and actually live in us and fill us with Himself. Now that's a whole new covenant that you know we've never even seen before until the New Testament when Jesus came and He set that covenant into motion. Uh, and so in Galatians three. Let's read from verse 1 down to verse 7. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. So we see that this new covenant, this new way is not by obeying the law. Actually, the Bible says here that by the law, you don't receive the spirit. And and actually, in another place, it says that the the new covenant replaces the law. So the law of Moses is the only covenant in the Bible that is not for believers today. All the other covenants are still uh, ongoing. The law of Moses, the, 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 the old test or the old covenant that was made with Moses uh, and God, it it, ha- it has been replaced by the new covenant. There are things that we still take from the from the law of Moses. Some things, most most of the things we don't. There are six hundred and thirteen commandments that God gave Moses. Uh, we don't. We obey almost none of them. We obey almost all of the Ten Commandments. Right there. How do we know which ones we obey? They're the ones that are repeated in the New Testament. And all of them are repeated except for one of them. That's the Sabbath. That's the, only covenant, that's the only commandment that's not repeated from the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. So that's how we know what we take from the Old Testament is what is repeated in the New Testament. Very important for us to understand how we read the Old Testament, the Old Covenants. All right. And so uh, today we want, we're looking at the New Covenant. So open, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, starting from verse 14. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14, and that's where we're going to be in 2 Corinthians for the rest of the evening. We've got about three hours left, so we're going to be doing a good, Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says this, but thank God He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But it's, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Ask your neighbor, do you smell? Who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like many hucksters who preach for a personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. So we see something here that when you are filled with God in the new covenant, there is a scent that you give off. There is a fragrance that comes from you. When you have God in your heart, There's something that you have that people can see. People will notice. This is someone that has God inside of them. This is someone that's different. This is someone that that is not like the world. They're not like everybody else. And sometimes people love it. Sometimes people love when you have Jesus in you. Sometimes people can't stand it. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever met somebody that you could just feel they have the Spirit of God in them, right? Have you ever met anybody like that? You know, I remember when the first time I saw Vasya, and the first time I saw Vasya, honestly, I didn't really like him. I was like, man, who is this guy that just came from Russia, you know, just FOB, like, just what is he doing here? I don't know. For some reason, I didn't like him, and I know he didn't like me either, so it's okay. We're we're mutual in that. He was like, who's that guy sitting with that red chair? What does he think he's so special? He gets that red chair all the time. Uh, but then I started talking with Vasya and I realized that he's got Jesus in him and then and, and there's this you know there's a unity and we went on a we went on like a 3-day hike right and we just talked and the whole 3 days we talked about Jesus and it was just it was it was powerful you know when you meet somebody and not only Vasya you know there's a lot of people in our church that you can sense that unity with but it's, it's something amazing when you meet somebody that's got Jesus in them right I remember I, I met somebody in a, uh, Vancouver at the Vancouver Mall. Uh, his name is Victor Lopez. I, I think he's a Mexican. And and I met him, he was doing a Bible study in the mall, and I came up to him and I'm like, Oh, you guys are doing a Bible study? And we started talking, and you know, like we, we can't we can't like separate. We're talking and we're like, man, you read this, yeah, and I read that, and, and we're talking and we talked about it, like like we were brothers, you know, we were just separated brothers. And uh, this is awesome to meet. I don't know anybody else that can, you know, only in, Christian, in, only in Christian circles can you meet somebody across, you know, somebody from a different nationality and you sense that unity, right? And it works both ways. You know, sometimes you, you, especially when you're around unsaved people, people don't like when you have Jesus in you. You know, especially when someone is full of the devil, someone's full of, you know, this world. And they get around you and, and they, you make them uncomfortable. Right. And, and man, that happens. I don't know if that, that ever happened to you when you're just around people and then they start pointing you out and like, oh, yeah, look at this person. And, oh, he thinks he's so cool. And, and, and you know, they start making you know, jokes at you and they start they start saying things that they don't say to anybody else except you. And you're like, I wonder why. It's because you have Jesus in you. You know, so next time you're you're wondering why, why are people singling me out? It's because they sense Jesus in you. Some people love it. Some people can't stand it. There's a story about a a famous American evangelist named Charles Finney. Who's ever heard of Charles Finney? Uh, One time he came into a factory and he went to, there's a factory with a lot of workers and he was there to meet the owner of that factory. And when he was walking through this factory, there was a woman that she knew who he was. And when she came to him, she, or when, when he was walking by her, she started to look at him. She kind of gave him this look kind of, she didn't like him. She's like giving him this look and, and he, and he's walking by her and he's kind of given, he's staring at her too. He's kind of staring her down. You know, he's kind of like, like this, just walking. Like, I don't, I don't know how he was doing what he was doing, but he's like looking at her and, and, uh, and when, as he's passing by, she begins to feel the conviction of God hitting her. She feels that conviction and she just breaks down and starts crying and repenting and just weeping because because she sensed God's presence through him. He didn't even say a word. Turned out, she got convicted. She started repenting. People around her started repenting. The whole company, the whole factory started repenting. 3,000 people started repenting. Just in effect, he didn't even say a word. 3,000 people started repenting. And the owner Kind of comes out. And he's like, "Oh, we're gonna have church today." You know, closed down work, and they had church, and he preached to those people. You know, there's something happens when you have Jesus in you. People can sense it, right? People can sense when you have Jesus in you. And uh, I want, I want. Let's go. Let's go to the next, the next chapter, chapter three. And we're just gonna, we're gonna read. Sometimes it's the, the best thing to do is to read whole chapters. Um, at a time because it gives us the best understanding of of the context of what God wants to tell us. So let's look at uh, the next uh, verse one and two. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Now, what's happening here is Paul is, uh, he was serving that Corinthian church. He founded it. He started it. But the Corinthian church started to, you know, they didn't really think Paul was that special. So they were kind of like, okay, Paul, you're not really that great. There's other guys. We don't really need you that much. And so Paul is saying, okay, you want, to, you, you, you want me to give, give you a letter of recommendation? And he's kind of questioning it. He's like, do, do I really need to come to you with a letter of recommendation? Because they were saying, Paul, you're not that great. You're, he's not, he wasn't very uh, impressive in his, in, in, his, in his appearance. He wasn't a great speaker. He wasn't a great order. He worked with his hands. He was a, he was a tent maker. And for them, they're like kind of just, just you know, Paul became some, something that wasn't, he wasn't a great, a special figure. But Paul said, you don't need any letters of recommendation because if you want proof, I'll show you proof. You are the proof. You are the proof that we are apostles of Christ. Right? He said, you are that proof. Why? Because without Paul, there would be no Corinthian church. He's like, the reason that you guys are even here is because I founded this church. And I preached to this church. And, and you guys uh, got saved through my work. Through what I did. And it's interesting what he said here. He says, the only letters we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts so that everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Did you know that you are a letter to everybody? You are a letter. And your actions, what you do, says a lot more than what you say. Did you know that? What you do says a lot more than what you say. That's what people see. People see, it's like you're an open book, right? You guys heard that saying. Your life is an open book. Everyone can read it. Everyone can read your your story. Everyone can read exactly who you are. You don't need to say, oh, I believe in this and this and that and that. No. Your your actions show what kind of person you are. You know, my parents, when when I was growing up, I thank God for my parents. When when, When I was growing up, my parents, they didn't just tell me about Christ. They showed me Christ. They showed me who Jesus was. They, they, didn't, they didn't so much as instruct me, even though they did instruct me plenty of times. And they whipped me and they disciplined me and did everything that they had to do, right? Amen. amen. Everyone that got whipped, say amen. amen. <laughs> and my parents, you know, they, they instructed me. But even more importantly, what they did was they showed me who Christ was. I didn't have to only hear what they said, but I could see it by their actions. And my dad, he was a pastor. He was an associate pastor when I was growing up. And he, he could say whatever he wanted to, but I only needed one proof. And that was what he, how he lived his life. And I could see that through my, my parents' life, they showed me who Christ was. See, by our actions, we can show people who Jesus is, or by our actions, we can deny Christ. There was a guy that I worked with, uh, and this guy. See, he was he said he was a Christian, went to church, uh, and he would tell people, "Yeah, I was at church yesterday. I, was, I went to church three times last week." Uh, and and you know, I would talk to him about God, and then when he found out I go to this church, he's all mad. He's like, "Oh, you go to those." charismatic church oh you go to a charismatic church where you guys just dance all you do is dance and and you don't wear head coverings like what's wrong with you guys he's big time judging us but anyways this guy was the most like perverted guy you would ever meet everything that he said was perverted he was just the jokes that he said everything that he did really denied christ and, and, I, and I, I really got upset at him. And so one time I, I ended up coming up to him and I said, you know what? You should stop telling people you're a Christian and that you go to church because you, you, you give Christians a bad name. You give Christ a bad name. And he got really upset at me. Uh, I mean, you could expect that, right? And I actually ended up apologizing because I said, you know, what I told you was true. It just wasn't in love. I didn't say it in love. So I apologized for that. But our actions show people a lot more than what we say, right? And our letters, or our, our life is an open letter before, before everyone. And then look at verse 3. This is very interesting. He says, Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our, of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is not carved on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. You know, the Bible, the Word of God, or let's, say, let's start with this, the Ten Commandments. What were they written on? Tablets, tablets right? Tablets, not, not this kind of tablet, right? Different tablets. Tablets of stone. And they were written for, for Israel. Now, out of the 600,000 fighting men that Israel had, how many of them made into the Promised Land? Two. Two out of 600,000 fighting men. So, obviously, the, the written Word of God or the written commandments didn't really work. Right? They were written down, they had them, but they didn't work for them. Why not? Because they weren't written on their hearts. You see, if your heart has the word of God written on it, then you're going gonna, you're gonna to walk in this new covenant. The new covenant is not like the old covenant. The old covenant had the, it was written on stone. The new covenant is written on our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, uh, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, David, he was, I don't, we don't know if David wrote that. They say it might have been David, might have been Ezra. But whoever wrote it, they had the word of God on their hearts. You know, David, for example, he was not like anybody else in the Old Testament. He loved God. He loved his commandments. Why? Because those commandments were not just written somewhere and he read them, but it was written on his heart. That's the whole difference, is the word of God has to be written on our heart. It's, it's, you know, it's pointless if it's just written in the Bible. You know, it could be in the Bible and we can read it every day. But unless the Bible or unless the Word of God is written on our hearts, it really is not going to affect us, right? Up until it actually comes inside of us and it becomes, you know, who we are, that's when this Word of God becomes powerful and effective. That's when it starts to transform and change our life. So we need the Word of God to be written. You know, I wish we could just, you know, kind of put the Bible over our heart And just osmosis, you know, it just comes in and we're like, yes, the Bible, the word of God is on my heart, but it doesn't work like that, right? It doesn't, but that's what the new covenant is about. The Holy Spirit wants to write his word on your heart, right? The Holy Spirit wants the word of God engraved on your heart so that you don't even have a desire to go and sin. See, if the word of God is on your heart, you don't have a desire to go and sin. You don't have a desire to go out into the world and to do something that's, that's wrong. You know, you don't have a desire. If you walk by, you know, if I walk by a bar, I have no desire to walk inside that bar. I have no desire to go say, why? Because the word of God is on my heart. We got to get to a place where it's written on our heart. All right. Because when it's written on your heart, you're not just going to, you know, you're not, you're not just going to know what the truth is, but you're going to want to do what is in the word of God. You're going to actually want to do those things. You know, it's interesting when people, when they have the word of God, you can see it. They want to change. They want, they they say, yes, I need God. I need his spirit. I need his work in my life. People that don't have the word of God, they try to hide things. You ever see a kid when he does something bad? What does he do? If he does something bad, he, he, he tries to hide it, right? He tries to just, you know, make sure mom and dad doesn't find out. Doesn't matter if they broke the neighbor's window. Doesn't matter if they set the cat on fire doesn 't matter what they did as long as they don 't get caught right that 's the whole point as long as i don 't get caught everything's okay isn 't that right isn't that what come on you guys you guys did that right you, you know oh I hope mom and dad don 't find out what grade I got you know as long as mom and dad don 't find out everything's okay right Come on you guys you guys look so holy like you've never done that okay am I the only one really? I know you guys all, all did that okay <laughs> but you know that's what some people are are like. They're like, okay, just as long as the lead, as just as long as my parents don't find out. You know, I could you could have some some bad relationship, some guy or girl that you're with that you're not supposed to be with, and you know it. But as long as mom and dad don't find out, as long as my leaders don't find out, as long as as long as pastor doesn't find out, as long as Dima doesn't find out, everything's okay. See, that's the wrong attitude, because when the word of God is written on your heart. You don't want to do those things. Not, not that you don't want to... It's, it's not that you, want to, you, you don't want it from being you know, exposed. You don't even want to do those things. And it's interesting that the Bible says whatever is spoken in secret, whatever is done in secret, will be shouted from the rooftops. So we might as well live our life as if everything's going to be shown on a video screen, right? Because it's going to come down to it anyways. God's going to show everything that we did. Everything that we've ever done, God is going to show it in front of us. And the Bible says there's going to be witnesses... Actually, people are going to see in heaven. And, you know, maybe sometimes it would be interesting if we did this, if we did this little test. You know, let's say we go to, we pick 10 random people at youth, and we go to their house when they're not home, and we videotape the room, how dirty it is or how clean it is. And then we show it here on the screen, and we say the name of every person whose room it is. You know, how, how, how would we, how would we uh, keep our rooms clean every day, Right? Well, how much more, you know, when we realize that everything we do is, God sees everything we do. We can fool people. We can fool our leaders. We can fool our parents. But we'll never fool God. We'll never fool God. Uh, Let's keep reading. Um, Let's see. Uh, Verse verse 4, sorry, verse 4, we are confident of all of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This new covenant, this is a new covenant not of written laws but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But the new covenant, the Spirit, uh, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. I like another translation that says, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We only get life through the Spirit of God. Uh, We're going to continue reading for the next from 7 down to verse 17. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Somebody say overwhelming. Overwhelming. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way is the new which remains forever. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Amen. For the, spirit of the, for where, for the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So probably most quoted uh, verse in charismatic churches. Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Amen. You know, that's where it says it says that the Lord is the Spirit, right? And He once He removes the veil, that's when we can see. There is freedom when God removes the veil. In this new covenant, God is removing the veil off of your face. There is a veil that covers you. Before, you, before God removes it. There's a veil that stops you from worshiping God. It's a veil that stops you from connecting to God. It's a veil that stops you from seeing God's glory. It's a veil that stops you from understanding who God really is. There's a veil. And I remember, you know, before I had that veil on, and I remember we went to a, a church in Florida, an old church, or my old church, I guess. Um, and this, it was an English-speaking church. And this church had a little bit different how they started worship. Everybody would be sitting down. The worship team would come up, and they would start playing. They had a big choir, really nice choir. Actually, still I still listen to them sometimes. Big choir, and they would sing. And then through maybe the first song, maybe the second song, sometimes even the third song, people would start standing up. So they didn't invite everybody to stand up. They would tell them to stand up later. That's just or people would stand up kind of. You know, randomly, you know, and, and I remember sitting there, and I'm always like, man, I hope people don't stand up. I'd rather just sit. I'd rather just sit, you know. And I was just like, I just want to sit. You know, it's, I didn't have a desire to worship God. I didn't have a desire to lift up my hands and to praise God. All I all I want to do is just to sit and just kind of listen to the music, and that's it, and not take part in anything, you know. And then people would start standing up. You know, one people, and then it's kind of a chain reaction. You know, some people stand up, some people stand, other people stand up, and then you just got to stand up or else it's kind of awkward, right? And so, you know, that was before the veil was taken off. But when it's taken off, you have a desire to worship, right? You have a desire to get into the presence of God. And this is, this verse right here, this is kind of the reason for for this whole sermon. Uh, Verse 18. Look at verse 18, it says, So all of us who have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now, it's interesting. It says that all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. There's two things. First thing, you see the glory of the Lord. Second thing is you reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, I could show you in, in demonstrations, kind of like this this iPad here. Underneath this cover, you have a glass surface, right? And it's kind of a reflective surface. But as this iPad is covered up by this screen, you can't see the reflection, right? It doesn't reflect anything. Now what happens when you remove the veil? It can reflect, right? It's got light and maybe I could shine in somebody's eyes. I don't think I can. But it becomes a reflective surface. And we are like a mirror, that is covered by 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 a veil we 're covered by by something that stops us from seeing God, but when God comes into our life, he removes the veil he removes that what stops us from connecting to him you know it's it's a mirror right we 're like a mirror we can when when the light of Christ hits us, we can see the glory of God and we reflect the glory of God and it says here it says uh the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. You, The more that you are exposed to God's glory, the more that you see God's glory, the more that it shines on you, the more that you are transformed into His image. The more you get around the glory of God, the more that you get around Christ, the more that you get into His presence. That's why I encourage everybody... Go to every prayer meeting that we have. You know, go to Sunday, our youth youth prayer services, where God's presence is. Get into the presence of God. Go on Mondays. You say, oh, well, that's for adults. It doesn't matter. God's presence is there. It's for everybody. Go to any, any service that you can go to. Go to Bible study. Go to groups. Go to where, wherever you can go to, to get into the presence of God. Why? Because in the presence of God we are transformed. It's the presence of God that shines on us. And it says that the more that the glory, it says that the glory of the Lord, uh, sorry, I'm going to uh, go back a little bit. So all of us have had the veil removed. We can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So God makes us more and more like Him. The more that we see it, the more that we reflect it. You know, we're, there's going to be the G4T conference coming up soon. I encourage everybody to go because the presence of God is there. And when you get into the presence of God, something happens. Some, you are transformed in the presence of God. The more that you're exposed, the more that the light hits you. See, this is the new covenant right here. The new covenant is you can't change by yourself. The new covenant is uh, the more that you are exposed to God. The more that God looks at you, the more that, that you are in God's presence, the more you change. See, some people, they try to change themselves. Some people try to change what they're about, but they can never do it. Why? Because they never meet Christ. They never connect to Christ. They never connect to God, and they never experience His presence. I'm going I'm to read something. I'm going to continue with that thought, but I'm going to read uh, chapter 4. Uh, down to verse 6. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. The new way is the new covenant. We never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds who, of, the, of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a whole other message right there. And we ourselves are your your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So it says that Jesus, right? It says that, Jesus, that he made this light shine in the darkness and the light shines in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God. And so this light that is shining, that is changing us, this light is not from ourselves. It is from God, right? This light is not generated from within us. It comes from somebody else. We are only reflecting the light. We reflect the light of Christ. You see, the moon, why does the moon shine? Why does the moon shine? It reflects the, sun. it reflects the sun. Exactly. Why do we shine? Because we reflect the sun, right? And not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. We reflect the Son of God. When we reflect the Son of God, the more that we reflect Him, the more the light shines in our hearts. You know, there's a, little, there's a, there's a cute little song that maybe you learn when you're little. It goes... This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You guys know that song? Yes. Okay, ready? Let's sing it together. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Come on, everybody sing. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Let it shine, let it shine. Yeah, that's a nice song, right? But it's wrong. You know why it's wrong? Because (laughs) it's a good song. But theologically, okay, theologically, we don't have a little light in us. The light comes from Jesus. It's not because it says, this little light of mine. You don't have your own light. You don't generate your own light. You only reflect you can only reflect. You can't generate a light. You don't know what, you don't have it. See, some people, they try to be a light to themselves. Or they try to be a light by themselves. It's like me taking this little picture right here. Alright, so you see this light? You guys like my light? It's pretty bright, right? Right? Come on. I got a, I got a bright, yo, like check this out. This is brand new. This is... This is like, just bought this, just fresh off the market, right? I just bought this. This is nice, new technology, right? You guys like my light? <laughs> See, that's what some Christians do, is they say, oh, yeah, I got a light. Yeah, I love Jesus. And they try to, you know, say, oh, yeah, I, I have a light. I have, you know, I believe in God, and, and and I have, you know, they try to create their own light. I want everybody's everybody's attention up here. They try to create their own light. They try to create their own um you know, kind of uh, their own image of the light. Like this, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a good Christian. So they, they, ha- they make this, this they, they pretend to, to, to carry a light around inside of us, inside of them. I remember I, I tried that before. It's very difficult. When you try to generate your own light, you try to uh, show people that you're a good Christian. You try to show people, yeah, I'm a great Christian. I love Jesus. But inside, if that light is not shining from, the, from another source, it becomes impossible to live that kind of life. It becomes impossible. You see, what happens is people, instead of coming to the source, instead of coming to Christ, in this new covenant, we got to come to Christ. In the new covenant, we got to come to Jesus and allow Him to change us and allow Him to take off the veil and allow Jesus to write His word on our heart and allow Him to, to change us from the inside. Some people try to outwardly you know, show that they're a Christian. They'll go to church, they do the right things, but inwardly, it's missing. And when it's missing inwardly, it becomes very difficult to, to outwardly present it. But when it's inside, you don't even have to try. It's just natural. You just, you just, it just comes up out of, it just comes up in, uh, from inside of you. You know, and you can try, You can you can do everything that you can, but you can't make a light inside of you, right? You can't generate a light. You can't, you know, you can, you can go, you know, you can strain and grunt, and you can, you can, you know, try to make yourself grow, but you're not going to make yourself grow, right? You can't make yourself grow by, by just, you know, pushing really hard, like, you know, you might, you might blow, but you're not going to grow, right? It's, it's, it's only, it, it's got to take time. You can't do it under your own effort. You can't do it under your own strength, and no one can change. See, sometimes we think that we can change by our own power, we think, oh, I don't need Christ. I don't need, I don't need to get into the presence. See, it's easier that way in a sense because you can hold on to your own agenda. You can hold on to your own selfish ambition. You can hold on to your own desires. I don't got to give anything up. I don't got to come to the cross. I don't have to give my life to Jesus. I can just make an appearance, and everything's good, right? I just, you know, I just put this little light. Oh, everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's great. See that? See my light? What? I, I didn't do anything wrong. I got a light right here, right? That's what some people do. Instead of, instead of coming to the source and actually getting changed from the inside, they just outwardly try to present themselves as a, as a, as a good Christian. And so let's, read, let's keep reading verse 7. And this, this is our last uh, passage of Scripture that we're going we're to look at, verse 7 to verse 12. It says, For We now have this light shining in our hearts, But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live in under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. It's interesting what God, or what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, compares us to in verse 7. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars. So we're like a contemporary music group today in America, right? Jars of clay. Okay, you guys didn't get that reference. <laughs> jars of clay. We're clay jars, right? We're fragile clay jars. And <clears throat> why are we fragile clay jars? Why does Paul compare us to that? You know, I was, when I was meditating on this verse, this is something that really stu- stood out to me that I've never seen before. The reason why, you know, we are like fragile clay jars is because God wants us to be dependent on His power. God wants us to depend on His strength. You see, in our weakness, see, is He? He gives a list. We're pressed by every troubles. Uh, we're pressed uh, by on every side by troubles. Not crushed. We're we're perplexed. We're hunted down. We get knocked down. We suffer. We go through some problems, right? In our flesh, we suffer. There's problems that come up. There's issues that come up into our life. And you ever wonder why is that? God, why are all these problems? It would have been so much easier, God, if you would have made it so that I wouldn't have these problems. Anybody's ever had that thought before? I know I did. I'm like, man, God, why do I have to have this flesh? Why do I have to be tempted by everything? You know, why, why do I have to have all these problems? Why is it so difficult? Anybody ever asked that question? God, why is this so difficult to be a Christian? Why is it so difficult? You know, I have God, and and of course I'm with God, and that's not going to change. But to make any kind of progress in God, it seems sometimes so difficult. You know, as I was thinking about this, you realize there's a dependency that comes when we are fragile. When we are in a state of, of being fragile before God, or how do you say it? Fragility or... Fragileness, right? Fragileness. When we are, when we are just, just when we are fragile. When we are in a state of dependency. Because, can you imagine if we didn't need God? What if God saves us, takes off the veil, puts His spirit in you, and you don't need God anymore? You're, you're, you're strong. You don't need. You don't have any temptations. How much of us would really need God? How much, how much of us would actually seek God if God didn't allow us to go through problems, right? How much of us would actually seek God if God didn't, didn't give us all of these problems that we got to go through, that we got to face? How much of us? Probably none of us. I probably wouldn't be seeking God if God w- if it wasn't so difficult where it's like, God, I need you. And you realize, okay, God, I messed up again. I need you again. And there's no, there's no point. The point where you say, okay, God, I don't need you anymore. That's the point where you're done, Right? And another thing, another interesting thing that he says here. He says that yes, we live in verse 11. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. You know, that's the way that that we stay in the new covenant. The way that God set it up is that you have to always carry your cross. If you stop carrying your cross... Your relationship with God stops. Why? Because God has said, Jesus actually said, if you don't carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Only through constantly, consistently carrying the cross, dying to yourself daily. Paul said, I die daily. Only dying to yourself through that kind of a way. Do we actually, can we actually continue with God? Because he says that the, as when, when the death of Christ is in you, the life of God is in you. When you die to yourself daily, you die to your desires, you die to your wishes, to your dreams, and you live to God. That's how we continue to carry this treasure, the light of Christ in our hearts. We have to consider, you know, we have to have the fear of God. We have to continue in the fear of God. It's so sad today. Many churches have lost the fear of God. The fear of God is like a forgotten thing. It's like an anomaly in the church today. I heard of a church that before their baptism services, they take shots of alcohol before their baptism services. See, today people have lost the fear of God. They've lost what it means to fear the Lord. And today you can't even tell who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, oh, I'm a believer, I'm not a believer. You can't tell anymore because so much of it is just, you know, washed up and, and people are, you know, they, they profess to be Christians, but their lifestyle denies it. And we have to always walk in, the, in, in death to ourselves. That is the new covenant. The new covenant is this. It is God removing the veil putting His Spirit in you. So we're going to do a little recap. So what do, we, what do we talk about today? God removes the veil, puts His Spirit in you, writes His Word on your heart, puts His light inside of you. And the more you see God, the more you reflect His glory. And and what, why does He do this? So that we can be one with Him. And we're just going to finish with one, um, one last verse, actually, to finish off that chapter he says this in verse 16, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us such a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we now we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see... Will last forever. I like how Ruvim was saying that last, last week. He said that the things that you receive from God will last forever. Everything else is temporary. So I want us to stand up right now and we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for what we talked about tonight. We talked about the new covenant. The new covenant is God's spirit living inside of you, God reflecting, God shining his glory on you. God shining his glory on you and changing your life, changing your understanding, changing you. And that's what we're going to pray about right now is for the glory of God to shine on us so that we can see his glory and so that we can reflect his glory, so that we can reflect the glory of the Lord. God, we thank you for this new covenant that we have. It's not like the old covenant that was written on stone, but Lord, you decided to write this covenant in our hearts. God, you decided to write this covenant on our hearts. God, this covenant is no longer just written somewhere on a piece of stone. It's written on our heart. God, you came down to live inside of us. God, that's such an amazing.